Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation Leadership Mental Health Podcast Series, changing your culture to embed mental health and well-being at the heart of further education. These podcasts are part of a wider programme developed for ETF by the Association of Colleges, designed to create space for leaders to reflect on and share their journey towards self-awareness and positive mental health, including a trauma-informed approach. This project is based on the belief that, through listening, learning and leading by example, a culture shift can be embedded starting from the top. I'm Polly Harrow, Assistant Principal at Kirklees College and Chair of the National Association of Managers of Student Services. And today I'm delighted to introduce the Principal of Kirklees College, Palvinder Singh. Welcome, Palvinder, and thank you for joining this podcast today. Thank you, Polly. I'm delighted to be here. It's quite an honour to be asked to do this, actually. Palvinder, when we talk about mental health and well-being and in fact trauma-informed approaches, why do you think that these things are important? I feel mental health is a foundation of everything that happens on the output of human beings. So if we're feeling good, things that are challenges are approached in a different way. If we're not feeling good, And those challenges sometimes feel like huge mountains. So mental well-being is critical. And I don't feel that we as society um, in today's economic space actually take mental well-being as important as we should have done, in particular over the last few decades. I think we've taken things for granted for an output-driven society, production, manufacturing, and I think the industrial revolution on e-commerce has just accelerated that. And what we've found really over this last decade with the digital revolution is that we are cognitively now overloaded and we're not coping. So as a society, we've got a lot to do, a lot of work to do. We have running water, we have food, we have shelter, we have the basic needs, but happiness, fulfillment is not where it should be when we've got these core parts of our life. So I think, I just feel that there's a lot of work to be done. Um, And those that work in education It is, I think, our moral obligation to play our role within society and to prepare our students for the future and for their well-being. But colleges disproportionately have students who come from the backgrounds with the most complex needs disproportionately, and who have got the greatest value to add to society within their even cognitive thinking. I think it's a moral obligation for us. That's really interesting. And you reminded me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
And when we think about our students who maybe have had traumatic lived experience, and I think most people have through the pandemic, for instance, alone, or the cost of living crisis, for instance, that those basic needs, am I safe? Am I loved? Now what can I learn? Do you think that applies to staff as well? It refers to everyone. It's not just students. It's staff, because if, if staff are not operating in a place where we recognise mental well-being as an important part of functioning ability, then we're not serving our students because we serve our students through our staff. And it's all our staff. I'm not saying that you know, we've got it right and that we're doing all the right things because our operating environment, we are still working in a regulatory environment which is output-driven. So there is an element of the conditions that we are operating in. And I think that goes for most organisations. You take the NHS as an example. It's well known that the NHS is, is at critical point, but they've been at critical point for a long time of burnout. So what is the output and impact on patients? It's the same with educators. The education system is at a difficult place. And I see in further education, staff who are from their local communities continue to go above and beyond to meet the needs of our students because they recognise that our students have got the greatest potential and opportunity to add to our society. And further education it's not the best paying part of the education system, but why do staff do it? They do it because they love working with our students and working in their local communities. It gives staff the opportunity of a higher meaning and higher purpose. And I can't think of a better purpose than to work in your local community in the world of education to support your community. And I just wish that our system appreciated that as much as I do. When you've been talking about the difficulties that the education sector is facing, and particularly the post-16 sector that we're talking about today, and the impact on staff and, as you say, society, human beings generally, can you talk to us a bit about what you, what actions you've actually taken in your own college to kind of embed this culture of nurture and care and respect and belonging? What kind of things have you done and how effective do you think are your strategies and policies? I've worked in further education for 24 years now and I've worked in many colleges and I think Colleges are naturally nurturing environments. They're environments which have got this almost intrinsic care for its local community. And you'll see that in any report that you read about colleges. It doesn't matter when it was written, it's in particular the last 10 years, you will see that college meets the needs of its local communities. And different words are used from anchor, to place. But what we did, which I think all colleges already do, 
So I don't think we're any different in some regard. But what we did was we started with trying to find that intrinsic soul of Kirklees College and trying to find that heartbeat, which was always there, and it's always there. It's, it's in all colleges. We're just trying to find the words for it. So we did a huge consultation exercise on why Kirklees College, with all our staff, with our students, and with our stakeholders. And the why was, is, we are here to create opportunities and change lives. And then we moved on to what are our values? How do we go about doing that? And I was so proud that these values came from our staff. And I think it was quite brave of our staff. And I don't know if it was because of the, the pandemic at the time when we did this exercise, but our first value of kindness which during my lifetime of being raised in this country and being a child of the 70s and 80s, kindness wasn't a word that was used often. Images on TV was all about yuppies, greed, prosperity. Kindness wasn't a term used, really. And it was a term which was seen as a sign of weakness. But our staff said, we are kind. Our first intrinsic value of Kirklees College is that we are kind, we are compassionate and honest to ourselves, to others and to our environment. But it always started with ourselves. So I was just so proud of our staff who came forward and advocated for kindness. And I see staff in the college who have said to other people within our community, do you know that our value is kindness? That to me is something which is really important. That our staff can name our values of kindness, of unity, having a shared sense of purpose, which then ultimately drives to excellence. You're absolutely right about that basic need. You know, am I safe? Am I loved? Kindness kind of encapsulates that. We're kind to each other. And kind to ourselves. Yes, it always started with ourselves. The pandemic of mental well-being, we can throw as much resource as we want at it. But we are the best of society since previous societies. We don't hunt for our food. We don't go to war. We are not brought out and made to do our duties. You know, there is choice. There is liberal. There is freedom. There's much more freedom for our society than, than what we've ever had. But yet, you know, we are very, very challenging on ourselves, whether the way that we look, the way that we present ourselves, the way that we talk. We are very critical of ourselves because we measure against things that are the perfect digital life. So, you know, in a, in a way we have made a system of society which isn't kind to ourselves, is critical of ourselves. And then we expect to function fully and ably within this regulated system that we work within to have fantastic outputs. And then how do our teachers function? How do our frontline staff function? How do our colleges it's a tough place. It's a tough job. 
we are working with some really, really challenging environments with some absolutely complex home lives. And you talk about trauma-informed. You know, our staff learn about things. And in my role, I have learned about those things. And I have gone, oh, my gosh. And I thought I was quite worldly, quite informed. And it breaks my heart nearly every day when I learn about the things that our students have got to face when they go home, that our staff have got to face when they have got to go to a food bank. I am the custodian and leader of this organisation. And every time I hear that, it breaks my heart. And it is indeed deeply heartbreaking. And I think what you're saying, do you, would you agree, could apply to all education organisations, not just colleges? Absolutely. I, I think the leadership of educators in the United Kingdom are some of the most compassionate, caring people that I have ever had the fortunate privilege to work with and meet. But that includes all our teachers, all our support staff, all our front-of-line staff. But the education system, there is a deep care in this country for the well-being of our society. And we do a fantastic job in the conditions that we work within. I think educators are undervalued, underappreciated sometimes for the complexities that they've got to deal with. And I think the political environment of late, of uh, what's correct or what's not correct, what is work, what is not work, what we talk about in our classrooms hasn't helped. You know, this, this kind of bitter conversation hasn't really helped. But we are where we are, and I, I am hopeful that there is more deep care and there is a strong heartbeat of educators for doing the right things for the right reasons. You've really set the scene really well with the importance of your values and the fact that values are more than a laminated poster on the wall, but actually words that have resonance and meaning to the whole of the college community. So that is your that was your first kind of stepping stone here. Is there anything else that you have done to promote this agenda that you describe so well in your own organisation? Yes. So we, with our corporation, decided, and the corporation took lead on this, um, on what, therefore, we know why we exist. We know how we're going to do this. So therefore, what are the key priorities that we're going to focus on? We're going to do everything else. You know, we're going to, we're going to do the quality of education. We're going to work with employers. We're going to do all the things that, we're ex that is expected of a college. But what else are we going to do which is of significance, which is our value proposition? And one of the key things that we've decided on of a number of strategic priorities is on being a trauma-informed and anti-racist and restorative college. So we're taking a very clear position, and I'm not saying that we get it right every day, 
because we don't with a human. I'm not saying that I get it right every day, but I try and go away and learn every single day. If I work in education, I am the, I'm the biggest learner. I learn first and foremost all the time. And there are things which I look back on in my career and say to myself, well, that wasn't very restorative, was it, Mr. Singh? That wasn't very kind, was it, Mr. Singh? And that is the true fact of the thing, of the nature. But you've got to be humble enough to be able to say, yes, I, I didn't get it right. And I don't get it right all the time, but I do try my best. So making this whole area of work and this culture change a key strategic priority, which I think is quite rare across the sector, do you think that that's, well, firstly, let's go to the corporation and governors. You said that they'd led on this. So you clearly, someone must have suggested it to someone and someone must have supported that idea. And do you feel that you got the full understanding and appreciation and support from the corporation? Yes, because our, our corporation understand our college. They understand our context, they understand our community, they understand our staff. Um so with their support and guidance, you were part of the process, mm -hmm. Polly. We proposed a number, a significant number of things that the corporation could have chosen. But it was ultimately the corporation's decision to decide upon what are the challenges that we, we choose to make our priority. And there is a number of other priorities which the corporation have chosen, including positive destinations and outcomes and the growth of the college and working with employers, but those things you would expect. And you know, I'm sure other colleges out there are doing exactly what we're doing. It may not be on their strategic plan, but I guarantee it, the college will be doing this work. Maybe consciously, maybe not consciously, but I know from my experience, there is a high probability that colleges work the way that I've described to you. And I think since the start of austerity, really, I have observed the education system continuing to paper over those cracks to try and do the best that it can possibly do for its communities and students. If that doesn't tell us already that there is a deep care within the further education system, then I don't know what would. You know, funding rates are not where they used to be. The stress and tension imposed on the sector has been immense. But when we were in lockdown, what was the first thing that colleges did? They made sure that our students who needed the support got the support. They made sure that students who were at most risk got the support that they required. We may not have got the TV time. We may not have got those newspaper articles and news station articles of teachers taking food on computers to students. But I know for a fact that the first thing that colleges did was to check in on those students who had deemed themselves as young adults to have the support that they required.
And I remember the day that we presented to Corporation and I did the piece on trauma-informed and why would we be a trauma-informed, restorative, inclusive, anti-racist organisation? And the only question at the end was, why wouldn't we? Yeah. Why wouldn't we do this? Uh, once they, they were hungry for more, actually, and absolutely fascinated by that whole development of the teenage brain and all of those other things that go in that, that whole package of understanding for staff as well as students. But within the things that you've said so far, You've been very clear about some of the kind of rigidity, let's say, around the regulated world that we live in. Do you think that this is, if you were going to advise colleagues across all organisations who really want to embed this, why wouldn't you want to? Do you think it's easy? Do you think it's difficult? What would your advice be to people just setting out on this journey? My advice would be absolutely to go and find examples that inspire you. That could be in, inside your own organisation or that could be externally. But I feel it's about what we did. And I'm not saying that what we did is the right way, nor am I saying that what we are doing is the right thing. But what we are doing is what is right for Kirklees College. And I know that because we asked our staff and they advocated for it. So that gives me a high level of confidence. We equally spoke to and asked our stakeholders. And if we are truly to play our role within our communities as an anchor organisation, within the system of Kirklees as a service provider. Being trauma-informed, being restorative and being anti-racist is being part of our society, whether it is the NHS, whether it is the police service, whether it is the local service, whether it is social care, we are playing a conscious role. We've just chosen those words. So my advice really would be to continue to play your role within your community and within your system of your community. Because as I started this conversation, I didn't know what I was going to say. You know, there is no script in front of me. But as I've been listening to myself, I've been reflecting that we at Kirklees have consciously decided to play our role to improve the offer and opportunities that are available to the community of Kirklees. And we have consciously decided that by playing our wider role within Kirklees, not just within our college, um, that is the right thing to do. And that has been supported by our staff, by our students and our stakeholders. So it gives me a high level of confidence that we're doing the right thing. Are we going to get to a point where this will no longer be a strategic priority? I think we will continue to play our role within our community. And at the moment, I think one of the biggest challenges facing society is the pandemic of the well-being of how people are feeling. 
And it's not about being interventionist. It's not about being a saviour and going in and saying, I can come in and save you. No, we can't. But we can go in and say, you know what? I have a bad day as well. You know what? I sometimes get it wrong as well. You know what? Yes, I wish I'd done that differently as well. You know what? Sometimes I have doubt as well. That's kind of beautiful summary of humanistic leadership. And when you talk about sometimes you get it wrong and sometimes you have doubts, and we talk about the mental health and well-being of staff and the risk of burnout for staff who work in the way that you suggest, they give over and above, they give from their heart and soul and as well as their mind. And sometimes people get very tired, they get exhausted, they get burnt out, they get ill. You lead quite a large college. Tell us a bit about how you make sure your own well-being is protected. What kind of things do you do anything to actually practice what you preach? Do you actually look after yourself? And what are the difficulties that you find in taking care of your own well-being with such an enormous responsibility? I try to look after my well-being. I have a daily practice. I think there's always more than you can do. My challenge is the same challenge that everyone's got, and that's time. I try and do small things from walking, ensuring that I take a break, protecting my time on the weekends, spending time with my family, and centering myself into journaling and reflecting on those kind of reminders of what is the core purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And as I come back and then circle back to, I cannot think of anything more productive or more positive than to work in education. So it's a privilege. But you're right, it is a challenging pressure at times. But when you've got good people around you, when you've got a good core purpose around you, when you've got the support around you, those challenges, which sometimes can feel like mountains, then are not as big as what they appear to be. So I don't get it right all the time. I'm not going to sit here and say, look at me, because I please don't. Um, We're just trying our best. I remember when you first joined Kirklees College, and one of the first things that you did was to ask us to put a sign-off on our email to say, well, you put a sign-off on your email to say, I might be emailing you outside college hours, but I don't expect you to respond. And one of the things that's most often quoted as causing kind of stress or pressure for staff is the volume of emails and this notion that you should be emailing at midnight and responding to people within a minute. And you kind of gave everyone permission to not do that. That role modelling in leadership is really important from what you're saying. It it is, but that's something that I've learned from another good leader. Mm. The education system is absolutely brilliant in this country. There is some deep care. And if I've done anything, it's things that, that I have learned from other amazing leaders within our sector. That's not something that I've invented. That was already out there and being advocated. And... Yes, absolutely, we should be doing that. I tried, by the way, I tried over Christmas 
to do these delayed emails because I didn't want to send emails to staff over Christmas. And, um, the system let me down a little bit. The email didn't get sent. <laughs> so, but, you know, these you try all different kinds of methods. But that's about trying to be a little bit conscious. But again, I wouldn't say that I'm 100% like that all the time because sometimes I'll just see you, Polly, and say, good to see you, Polly, and just totally forget it's the New Year's first time I've seen you and not even wished you a happy New Year. <laughs> That's really okay. And you don't have to have invented a thing, do you, to recognise its value and use it. So it is, I think what you've alluded to is the importance of sharing that good practice and for people to learn from each yeah. other, which is exactly what these podcasts are about, to really ask, how is it for you in the hope that other people can learn something today from from your experience, and like you say, we're learning every day, all the time, all of us. If one person gets anything out of this, then that's a really good use of time. But I'm, I'm an advocate for Curtis College. I'm an advocate for the education work that we do. I keep coming back to there's loads and loads of good practice out there, you know, much better than what I'm doing. Thank you so much, Palvinder, and thank you to those who've tuned in uh, to listen to this podcast. Thank you, Palvinder, again. Thank you, Polly. This programme is delivered by Association of Colleges, commissioned by the Education and Training Foundation on behalf of the Department of Education.